Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts? Are they the exciting new heroes the world needs? Thunderbolts, strike! Today makes at least half a dozen times these Thunderbolts have done the job we used to depend on the Avengers for. It allowed us to move among you, disguising who we really are. The Masters of Evil! In what is now becoming an old story, the Thunderbolts once again save the city. Enough of this hero talk. You will do as you're told. But... He's right. You may be wearing a songbird costume, but underneath you're just screaming me. I can expose all of you right now. So you see, you really have no choice. You know what? We're done playing these parts. It's time to live these parts. No one betrays Zemo. Figures, just let me go in on this hero thing. Our blood runs out. Avengers, Defenders, Thunderbolts. I make any team better. We're Norman Osborn's A-team. And he's the big man in charge now. This isn't the team I used to lead. You, honey, are under arrest. You have to fight for what's right every single day. Bulletproof skin or not. The Thunderbolts have worked hard to change people's minds about us. But apparently, we've got a ways to go. Hey folks, and welcome back to Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning, the fan hole spinoff show where we talk about the Thunderbolts, Marvel's team of uh, supervillains pretending to be superheroes. And, uh, well, this is, a, I guess, a, a special sort of episode because, like, this, well, this is a milestone issue we're going to discuss tonight. So uh, before I get into it, uh, who else is here? Hey, what's up? This is Derek. Derek WC. Sehr gut. And this is Justin. Awesome. Awesome. We have been revealed. And uh, yeah, so we're going to be talking in the first half of the show. We're going to be talking about Thunderbolts number 10, which, uh, you know, is kind of a big deal issue. And uh, it's actually the first, uh, I guess not technically, but it's the first issue I was like caught up on Thunderbolts, basically. Like... I had bought a bunch of back issues. I had the first issue and I had like three or four other issues. And then like when I went to the comic store, like next month, I think 11 was out. And then I picked up number 10 and 11 in one shot. And like, then, then I was all caught up to like current, like at the time. So like, this was a, this was a big deal issue to, for me too. Like, and let alone like what happens in it. But, um, Thunderbolts 10 has a cover date of January 1998. It's written by Kurt Busiek, uh, penciled by Mark Bagley, colors by Joe Rosas, inks by Vince Russell, letters by Dave Lamphere, and edited by Tom Brevoort. And I will read a brief summary, and then we'll get into it. Uh, the title of the issue is Hero's Reward, and it's got, like, the font of, like, Hero's Return and stuff. So that was a, like, nice touch. The T-Bolts are waiting to make their appearance on stage to be honored in front of the city by the mayor. Atlas tells Jolt about his little sister Lindy, who died when he was 17, and how Jolt reminds him of her. Soon, the mayor begins his presentation, speaking of how the heroes that vanished fighting Onslaught have now returned. He presents the T-Bolts and announces that they will be granted the same security status that the Avengers had enjoyed. Citizen V takes a few questions... But suddenly, S.H.I.E.L.D. agents led by G.W. Bridge crash through the windows and demand Baron Zemo and the Masters of Evil surrender. The gig is up. Techno uses an electromagnetic pulse to delay the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and the T-Bolts depart, leaving a stunned jolt behind. Baron V. orders the T-Bolts to split up and meet back at, the fo at Four Freedoms Plaza. 
Jolt shakes off her shock and makes an escape too, the truth finally settling in about, about the team that took her in. Meanwhile, Meteorite is intercepted by Hawkeye, who tries to apprehend her, but she gives him the slip. Mach 1 and Songbird are distraught about at their loss of their new lives and barely evade an angry mob of people. Jolt disguises herself and sees news reports that lay out all the evidence that was staring everyone in the face about the T-Bolts. She can't believe that everything was a lie and she heads for, free, for Freedom's Plaza as well. Speaking of, New York's available superheroes have cordoned off the building with the new warriors Daredevil and Spider-Man hovering around outside. Meteorite grabs Atlas and flies straight through all of them to get inside, while Jolt manages to slip in through a sub-basement entrance. Inside, the T-Bolts wonder who exposed them, with Mach 1 and Songbird assuming it was the Black Widow after she had confronted them a few days prior. However, at that moment, Baron Zemo enters the room, having cast off his Citizen V facade for good, and reveals that he was the one who leaked the information to S.H.I.E.L.D. The others are angry, but Zemo throws it back in their faces, saying that they were planning on pretending to be heroes forever and forgotten their true purpose. He tells his team that they are now pariahs from both the superhero and supervillain community alike, and that their only choice is to follow him to the end. Jolt watches Zemo twist the knife from an air duct, and the team moves to depart for Freedom's Plaza before the authorities can breach it. Jolt sneaks aboard their aircraft as it takes off for space, and before any of the heroes outside can stop them, Zemo blows Four Freedoms Plaza up to discourage pursuit. To be continued. So yeah, this is a very, you know, important issue. Like like I said, the gig is up. Like the the um pretending to be heroes phase is is done with. Um and like I I guess I gotta give like Kurt Busick credit for not letting it like drag on like for too long. Like I think it's just like the right amount of time. Like that like you know everyone figured you know once the heroes had come back from like onslaught or whatever it would only be a matter of time. And you know I think this is like a good point to like end the facade. But like what what are your guys like kind of history with this issue? I remember walking into Dalton Books and seeing that cover, and I was like, holy crap, like, they're kind of like what you said. I was like, oh, this seems, uh, I don't know, premature. Like, I kind of, I don't know, I guess I thought this would go on a little bit longer than it than it did. And if this was written, you know, 20 years later, it would be some convoluted mess, like, who is the Red Hulk that just dragged on for, it dragged on for way too long, and then when you got the answer, you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. That's stupid. Or if it was Ben just writing it, it would be like this, you know, it would be an epic five-year extravaganza spanning 24 volumes that you have to have on your bookshelf or, or something stupid like that. But uh, I just remember being surprised that the the secret was out. I was kind of – I think I was kind of in my head expecting the Thunderbolts to maybe – sneakily work alongside the Avengers and the Fantastic Four for maybe a year or something. Like I figured they would I figured they would at least stretch it out for that long. And you know, it's like, okay, it, it, it would end up being like a mission impossible thing where it's like, okay, we have to continue to pull off our con. We gotta do it in front of everyone. And it's gonna be like super tense. You know, it's gonna be like, okay, 
Techno had to do a thing while he was with Hawkeye, but did Hawkeye see him accidentally do the other thing? You know, it's like it would be some kind of like tense comic book moment like that, but none of that happened. But uh, but yeah, I remember just seeing that cover and I was like, oh, wow, like I got to read this immediately. And I think uh, instead of reading it on the car on the way home, I think I just like bought it, ran out and like in front of Dalton Books, there was like this very uncomfortable wooden bench and i remember just sitting on that and reading the comic like immediately and then i think i ended up like reading it twice when i was sitting there or something but i was yeah i was really excited and i don't know like i didn't know where this was gonna go and then like being a big fantastic four fan like that ending blowing up four freedoms plaza i was like what like they can't do that like that's that's but that's the fantastic fours building like where are they gonna go like you're can they rebuild? And and then, you know, you find out later, it's like, oh, heroes return. They get this, uh, I don't know, I always thought it was crappy. They get this crappy base along the docks, you know, Derek, the docks where everything happens. And Yay. <laughs> Parademons live on the docks. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I kind of like you, Mike, I just remember this being a, a huge <laughs> issue for me. Did you like go to the Fantastic Four, like and like grab them and go, "What are you doing at the docks?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this like technically, I guess this came out in '97 because it's one of those on the cusp cover dates, right? And so I'm trying to think, but I mean, I, I definitely like I had long ago gone past the point of like catching up, I guess, you know. So I was reading this you know, month to month when it came out and everything. I'm assuming I was, I mean, I, you know, at this point, I mean, unless it was something I picked up over the holidays because it would have been like November-ish, you know, when it came out. Like, you know, I, I assume I got this when I was going to Loyola and, 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 you know, going to the comic stores out there and everything. I don't know if I had, you know, and I, I don't know that I expected this to this charade to last much longer like justin like i almost kind of think you had the tension you needed with the black widow issue but i mean i could see justin's point like you could you could certainly extend that tension to where you know it, it involves other heroes especially the heroes that have come back from from you know heroes reborn and everything like that so i mean i can see what he's saying but i i don't i don't think that was ever sort of on my mind. I, I think kind of what was on my mind was was the how it was going to be revealed. And I guess I kind of agree with Justin in terms of how this is not played like a uh, either ambiguously or drawn out like a, a, a modern comic would be. And even even maybe like the contemporary comics as well, right? I mean, this is not this is not the clone saga, right? Like they're not trying to shroud in mystery how the Thunderbolts were exposed, they get exposed in the beginning of the issue, and by the middle of the issue, Zemo's there in full regalia saying, you know, who exposed you? It was I! You know, and you, and you know, right? Like, there's no, it's not like it's this huge mystery, like, like he he's playing everyone, and, and that's, you know, it, it's all clearly set up within the issue. So, I mean, from, from that perspective, I think, 
it, it wasn't unexpected, and I, I think it's a good issue. You know, it's something that's welcome. I mean, I, I guess, I guess, in some sense, like not not that there's anybody. Well, maybe I'm wrong. There's got to be somebody out there who's like G.W. Bridges' number one fan. But like, I, I think if you were coming from the angle that like maybe G.W. Bridge was like the Jack McGee of 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 this this series, like that that maybe he would be the one to bring them down or whatever. And he has his little moment, right? But the the idea is Zemo is the one who fed him the intel at the right moment, and he's being used still, just like everyone else is being used in in the issue by Zemo, right? This is this is all you know conscripted and and going according to his plans. The, the, the thing that I thought was weird about it, and I guess I'd, I'd be curious to hear what you guys think of this, but, you know, the thing that occurred to me is, like, and, and, and maybe it's just my gut instinct, but, like, if they know that the Thunderbolts are truly the masters of evil and Jolt has no masters of evil counterpart, like, are people just assuming she's a young crook in training? Like, or, or like, you know what I mean? Like, like why, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's naive of me, right? But like, part of me is kind of like, why is Jolt under arrest? Like, shouldn't they be like putting a, a blanket around her and giving her a warm cup of coffee and saying, oh, I'm sorry, we, you were snowed like all the rest of us. Like, come on home and let's, uh, l- let's get you to meet like some good people like the Avengers or something like that. Like, that's, that's something that I thought was kind of weird. Like, where it's like, hold it there, young lady. Like, we, we need to have words. And it's like. Da, 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 and she's got to, you know, pull the ninja shit and jump out the window and be on the run like Harrison Ford and the Fugitive or something. And I, I just kind of thought that that was, I, I mean, it makes sense in terms of keeping her in the story. But I, I kind of, you know, like I said, maybe it's my own naivete, but like that's you know something like, what did Jolt do exactly? Like, why do, why do they, you know, why do they think she's not just as snowed as the rest of the world yeah i kind of thought about that too I, I i guess they just yeah they just figured oh it's just you know it's just one more like super criminal like we don't have files on or i don't know maybe maybe like you know zemo like when they took her in maybe like they just kind of falsified her her records or something and i i think they just assume that she has knowledge of possible crimes that were at least committed in her presence or something. Oh, okay. It's like you said, okay. they they don't know the extent of her involvement, so it may be they, they just want to question her at, at the very least, or at, at the very most they think maybe she's maybe she's some super villain they've yet to identify and mm-hmm. you know, if they don't know the, the extent of her involvement, they don't know what she knows but at the right. very least, they, they at least need to question her and ask her. Yeah. Yeah, they need to find out. Yeah, that, no, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I mean, I think I think maybe maybe it speaks well to Kurt Busiek's portrayal of Jolt that I, you know, empathize and or sympathize from her perspective rather mm-hmm. than the perspective of you know Shield law enforcement. It's like, hey, hold it there, Missy. We need to ask you some questions. And my my immediate gut reaction because I. I guess appreciate the character is what the fuck she didn't do anything like leave fucking jolt alone you know like that kind of thing so I mean I I think that speaks to why this is a a good issue and everything the only the only other thing and and I mean it is dramatic and and it works within the context of the story did anybody else like kind of have a Infinity War like 
like, uh, you know, uh, deja vu, you know, thing where you, you remember how in Infinity War they blew up the the Baxter building with all the doppelgangers and all that bullshit. Like, I, I kind of, oh. I, I felt like this was kind of like a redo of that in, was in that, a way. Was that Infinity War or Infinity Crusade? Oh, maybe I'm, see, that's the thing. Maybe I'm conflating it. I, I thought it was Infinity War. I thought it was where they, because don't they all, like, meet up at at the, the Four Freedoms Plaza because of all the doppelgangers? And then, like, all the doppelgangers are, like, raiding the building, and then they blow up. But, like I swear, like somebody, like a Reed doppelganger or somebody, you know, it's been so long since I read that shit. But but I I, I have a distinct memory of of Ron Limart. So you're you're right. It could be the Crusade. But I think it but, is Crusade. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just remember somebody like blowing up the the Four Freedoms Plaza, and I'm kind of like, God, didn't we do this already? Like, haven't we done this before? Like, hey, but Doctor Doom shoots it into space like every Thursday. Right, right. So so it can be it can be blown up more than once. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's issue, what, five, I think, that first happened. So it, it's a long-standing tradition to mess with <laughs> the Fantastic Four. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, still, how else are they going to be constantly in bankruptcy if you don't shoot it into space or blow it <laughs> up, right? Okay. Yep. And then you've got that scene where, like, Meteorite is flying along and, like, she gets, like, confronted by Hawkeye, which I, you know, it's still, like, almost... 10 issues out from Hawkeye officially joining the team, but this is how, like, Kurt Busiek plans shit. So, like, I, I, I no, I have no doubt he put Hawkeye here to, like, you know, hint it, like, establish him so he just doesn't, mm. like, pop, pop out Come of out nowhere. And, like, this is... This is a scene like I'd show people where, you know, where, you know, you got people who are like, what's Hawkeye gonna do? He's got arrows. Like, he's a useless member of the Avengers or whatever. Like... Like, this is, you know, a, a classic, like, Hawkeye scene where, yeah, all he's got is a, you know, him, himself and a quiver full of arrows, but he's, and Moonstone is, like, way out of his league, but he still, like, stands up to her, and she's even, like, you know, it's not like she underestimates him or anything either. I, I think, I think it's a good moment to establish him. I think, I think it's good to have him and Moonstone be the ones that face off against one another because... It, it starts you, I mean, not to give, like, future spoilers to this podcast or the series, if anybody's following along sort of issue by issue, but g given if this is if this is your character's starting point, I mean, and, and, you know, to sort of just hint at where they end up, I mean, they, they certainly start at, you know, the furthest apart that they could possibly be in this sequence, and, and it gives them plenty of room to... To grow, right? Like there's there's that aspect of it, you know, for for the series. And I was thinking when I wrote the summary when I was reading it, I, I was thinking like I wrote like oh like meteorite gives him the slip, and then later on he'll give her the dick. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you want to talk about the the quote unquote you know I guess the 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 genius uh, of or or. You know, if if or if it's one of these things where you know the the fanboys are like, "Hey, you called meteorite moonstone," and th that that was incorporated into the 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 explanation of this, like where you know Jolt's running around and sees it on the news broadcast, and she's like, "I was there, and I didn't even notice it," you know, like that kind of thing. 
Yeah, I think I brought that up when we talked about this issue. Like, this is like, you know, Kurt freaking Busick, like, setting shit up. Like, way, like, and I don't even think that was a mistake or something in that original issue. Like, I think he actually put it there to see if anyone would notice. And, like, they, like, you know, in universe, no one did. So, right. I know, I know these are totally unconnected, but, uh, and, and uh, you guys will feel me on this, but I, I feel like Jolt reminds me of, um, What's her face uh, from Picard or whatever, where she's like on the run with the hooded thing or whatever? I don't know why, but that's what that reminds me of. Oh, yeah, uh, Robot Girl, Data's yeah. daughter. Yeah, Data's I don't even remember her name. Whatever, whatever her name was. May I ask your name? Dash. Dodge. Certainly an interesting snapshot of uh, of an era of new warriors. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to ask you guys, like, what do you think of, like, you know, it's like, oh, I like how it's like, oh, well, the Avengers can't be reached. The heroes for hire can't be reached. Like, you know, the Fantastic Four can't be reached. So we got, you know, again, the new warriors and Spider-Man and Daredevil. And, and well, the, it's you weird because it's like it's not even. Well, I mean, I suppose like Nova, Firestar and and and. Uh, Justice Marvel Boy, like they're they're kind of old school. But then I'm like, oh look, there's there's a uh, Turbo or whatever her name is, you know. So like that that that's a clue to me where it's like, oh, this is kind of an era of New Warriors that I wasn't extensively following at the time, you know. I do like again, like when when they had that scene in the park fighting like the elements of Doom. Like, it's like the new warriors come on the scene. They're like, what's happening? Like, what should we do? And Spider-Man's like, how the fuck should I know? Like, basically, like, <laughs> you're asking me to have responsibility? Like, I, I only throw Captain America's shield out the window. And yeah, exactly. Like, Daredevil, what do we do? I don't know. Like, we'll just stand here and we'll let Moonstone and Atlas just fly past us. Like, okay. <laughs> it's also kind of interesting to see Justice and Firestore in this kind of capacity, knowing that they would fairly soon become mm. like Avengers members. Sorry, I, I don't mean to be a Zemo douchebag, but I, I was looking it up while you guys were talking. And between Infinity War issue two and issue three, they try to blow up Four Freedoms Plaza and there's a big explosion, but like Sue like captures it in a force field. And then, like, uh, Eric Masterson Thor, like, you know, twirls it into outer space or some shit. So that's that's what I was thinking of. So I, I, if they blow it up in Crusade, too, then it's even worse. But um, anyway, sorry. I think, like, Reed just builds, like, infinite Four Freedoms plazas and has Hank Pym shrink them all down. And so when one is destroyed, he just throws another one down and has it, like, <laughs> scaled up again. He has it ready to go. He's got a suitcase full of, of buildings. Doctor Doom's like, I shall launch all of them into space. It's like, well, here's our new home. Oh, god damn it, Victor! You see, like Doctor Doom, like taping big rocket engines to the side of each building. That shot where Zemo comes out revealed in his full regalia is really nice. Like, I think that's my favorite. My favorite. Uh, it, I mean, yeah, it's not awesome. really a splash, but it's 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 almost like a splash, or at least it's it's big enough, you know. So it's 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 really nice. Well, despite, you know, this being an important issue, like, not a lot, actually, like, it's funny to say, it's a very brisk issue, like, it, it does, there's not a lot of, like, like, there's a lot of shocking, like, like, moments, but you go from them, like, really fast, and then, like, like it's a fast read, like, kinda, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but th- this is this is the story really picking up, though, right? Because yeah. This is this is you know essentially. I mean, I, I I don't know if it's the climax, but it's certainly the the a uh, very fast paced rising action, and 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 to to rise, right? You you have to you know it's it's got to you know the water's got to hit to the top pretty quickly, otherwise there's not a whole lot of suspense, you know. So it's like that's. I, I think that's just the nature of it, especially because I imagine if 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 you're, what you're saying is that that Kurt Busiek had this, you know, plotted out, you know, in his head or or had notes on where this was all going. I mean, we we know this is leading to, you know, uh, a confrontation with the Avengers, and and so this this would be the the rising action before that. So you you would kind of have to, you know, to set that up, you'd have to kind of have the exodus happen lickety split it, it's weird because like like y- y- you know what's interesting about this is like if you compare this to to something like i think like lex luther's various downfalls over the years it's like I, I don't know what it is but like you know like for me like the public enemy stuff like that's always been a huge source of disappointment to me because of how long Luther was portrayed as this kind of untouchable businessman and you know or or even even the way he was an untouchable businessman in Superman the animated series and then you know the 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 concept was just hey you know what we're tired of doing the businessman Lex like let's make him the supervillain Lex so it's like in the span of like practically five minutes in Justice League it goes from I'm a businessman to Oh, you're going to jail, Luthor. Oh no, I'm a supervillain. Cackles and runs away, right? And it's like, wait, like he was untouchable that whole time, and now all of a sudden he's touchable within the span of three seconds. Whereas this, I think these guys were always touchable. Do you know what I mean? Like they just had to make one mistake, one slip, one mess up, and they'd be completely touchable. And in this case, it's all part of Zemo's plan so that since this happens so quickly to me it's it's a lot more believable and it's where i guess i guess what i'm trying to get at is this issue for me is not a disappointment whereas if it was if it was like kingpin or something you know what i mean like somebody who who played this long game where you've been reading their machinations for years and then and then you watch their downfall and you're like i don't know that i believe this downfall because it's like something that's been building up for so long whereas the build-up to this like yeah it was built up and it was well built up but it's like so you've been reading this for less than a year okay fine but it it's like it's you know what 10 months you know like that that i don't know to me it's like that's a little more believable that this could you know, all sort of unravel at the speed that it's unraveling. Whereas sometimes I think, you know, if, if, if something is such, such a long game or such an established kind of MO for a character, it, it makes it awkward when somebody just decides to rip them out of that MO. But this is, I think is, is different. Yeah, I agree. It happened at the, like I said, I think it perfectly, it was like the right amount of time. When you guys imagined the Thunderbolts getting exposed, like, did you imagine it would be like this? Because when I thought of scenarios in my head, like, the one I thought would happen is I figured, like, either Mark 1 and Songbird would expose the rest of the team on purpose out of guilt. Or I thought maybe it would be, like, Atlas would slip up while he, while he's, like, on a date with um, uh security lady. I forgot her name. 
Like he would oh, accidentally. Dallas. Yeah, I, I figured he would accidentally say something he shouldn't know. Like, you know, Goliath would know this, but Atlas shouldn't. But he would slip up and say something, and she would, like, start to get suspicious. And, like, that's how they would get exposed. Like, that's kind of, those are my two scenarios. And I always lean towards the, the Atlas thing. All I got are giggly jokes that'll get me canceled about meteorite and songbird. So when you say exposed, so that's <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> I don't like like I said because because this was like one of the first like kind of new issues I had picked up while like you know like it was like I caught up and then I was all of a sudden on a roller coaster. I was like you know like mm, okay. or or like I was on the downward slope of the roller coaster. Like I was like wait wait let me get wait till I get to the top of the roller coaster and then like I. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. What's up here? Oh, my God. Like, and then we went like down again. Like, so like I, I, I don't when I was originally reading this, I didn't have a lot of time to like let it sink in. I just thought it was like cool. Like and then, like, like I said, I got to read issue 11, like almost immediately. So that's why, like reading this on its own, like it struck me of how fast paced it is. And I, yeah, like, I don't know if I ever had time to like consider or ponder any scenarios where like other scenarios about how how they could also get exposed. Except for that scenario where Zemo pulls his pants down. <laughs> yes. Yes, that. <laughs> it was I. <laughs> I, I, I guess I guess I'm kind of with Mike where I didn't I didn't. Uh... I didn't dwell too much on other potential uh, reveals, but it's 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 interesting. Like, has no one ever like tried to play with this in terms of like what ifs or alternate universes or things like that? Because mm. because it, seem, it seems like what so. Justin's talking about would make for an interesting what if. You know, like what if you know Atlas was the one who fucked shit up, or you know, you know what I mean? Like what, what whatever you'd call it, right? Like what if. You know, what if Jolt discovered the Thunderbolts were evil before Zemo revealed them or, you know, like whatever you want to do. Like you could you could probably do it, you know, with some kind of anthology thing where there were, you know, multiple, you know, versions of of the same reveal and, and see how it all plays. And that might be kind of a. You know, I mean, I, I, clearly Spider-Man will die in all of them. But I mean, other than that consistent, like. You know, you, you yeah. could have a lot of you could have a lot of fun with it, right? It's like meteorite, like in this like version, like meteorite flies straight through Spider Man when he's like right, she's right. going like flying through them. It's like like jump jumps out the window and accidentally drops a hundred tons of glass on Spider Man's throat. Whoops. You know, like that kind of thing. But yeah. My scenario would be uh Spider Man is chasing Zemo and Zemo paints like a tunnel on a wall and goes through it and Spider Man <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, meep, meep. <laughs> meep, meep, don't cough. <laughs> so, yeah, like anything else about this issue? I mean, it, like, it's an important one, but again, like I said, yeah. like it, there's not a lot to say about it other than, like, you know, the big thing finally happens. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, good issue. Great art, you know, good writing. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of back into the creative team that we're we're have become accustomed to on this book. So I think that that definitely is to the the issue's advantage. And and like you said, I mean, you know, fast paced but but well timed. You know, so 
I, I think all those things are applicable. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could make the podcasts that they never could. like to cross over to feel so desperately that the comic is right yet to fail all the same dread it run from it March 2021 still arrives evacuate the network Engage all defenses. And get this man a cold Mountain Dew. Ooh, a cold Mountain Dew. I haven't tried one of those. Nah, nah, nah. Make it warm. Thank you. Sun isn't something one considers when podcasting an event. But this... Does put a smile on my face. you guys the merry marvel marching society we don't know where we're going but we're on the way a podcasting crossover mega event in the spirit of jl may coming in march 2021 covering marvel's fall crossover event of vengeance. A cabal of evil threatens the Avengers and the entire Marvel Universe. Doctor Doom, the Red Skull, Kingpin, Doctor Doom, Magneto, the Wizard, Doctor Doom, the Mandarin, and Doctor Doom have banded together to pit Earth's mightiest heroes against foes they have never faced before. An array of heroes face enemies they are totally unfamiliar with. But who is secretly pulling the vengeful cabal's strings? And can the Avengers take down the true mastermind before his hidden scheme succeeds? Featuring podcasts from Third Degree Burn, Back to the Bins, Avenger Spotlight, Coffee and Comics, Comic Book Time Machine, Doom Speak, Fan Holes Podcast, Fire and Water Podcast Network, Head Speaks, Into the Weird, Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast, Longbox Crusade, Married with Comics, 
The Quantum Cast, Resurrections, an Adam Warlock podcast, Rolled Spine Podcasts, and Views from the Long Box. Marching its way to your favorite podcatchers and hosting sites in 2021. Act of Vengeance, a true story. All right, well, that was our usual, you know, uh, coverage of the chronological Thunderbolts issue. And now we will move on to the historical portion of the show. And Derek, like, why don't you tell us what we are reading for the historical portion of this episode? Okay, so it's pretty light reading. Basically, I had the guys read the first story in Avengers Spotlight, issue number 28. And basically... Um, Avengers Spotlight, just to, to give some, some context, you know, it was a title that was called Solo Avengers for about the first 20 issues or so. And typically it would have a, a, uh, introductory story or the first half of the comic would have a story that usually featured Hawkeye as the lead character. And, you know, when people go, Hawkeye's never had a solo book before. I'm always like, you know, cough, cough, you know, solo Avengers, Avengers Spotlight and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, so so Hawkeye is usually featured in the first half of uh, solo Avengers. And then right around issue 21, it got changed to the title of Avengers Spotlight, but carried on the numbering. Um, this particular issue has a cover date of January 1990. Its on-sale date was November 14th, 1989. It had a cover price of a whopping 100 cents, a dollar. Um, the editor was Mark Grunewald. The penciler is Al Milgram, or I guess, I don't know, it's weird, like, because Howard Mackey wrote the story for this. It's called Denver Doubles, and I, I don't know, like, I guess... The, the way they lay it out, I mean, normally it's writer, penciler, inker. So the, 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 the credits, if you look at it, says Mackie Milgram Heck. So mm-hmm. that, would, that would lead you to believe that Al Milgram was the penciler and Don Heck was the inker. But then if you look at the cover, the cover has Heck and Milgram. And I know Milgram was traditionally... I mean, I don't know. I, I tend to think of them more as an inker than a penciler, but I yeah. mean, maybe maybe I could be wrong. But that's that's how I tend to think of them. So it's funny looking at all the the different web sources that that cover the credits here because you know a lot of them are kind of like, well, for the cover, you know, Don Heck drew it and Al Milgram inked it, but for the issue, the interiors, Milgram drew it and Don Heck inked it. And I'm like, why would they swap like that? Like. I don't know. Anyway, some something doesn't smell right to me, but but that's who um, that that's who's involved in the the art uh, w- as to who is the inker and who is the penciler and all that stuff. Like who the hell knows? But they, they've got it labeled certain ways and everything. The letterer is uh, Jack Morelli, and the colorist is Paul J. Beckton. And taking a page from Justin, I just kind of cobbled together some. Basically, like the the previews write up for for what happens in this because it's an eleven page story. It's not it, it, it doesn't involve too much. Um, I guess the other brief maybe setup for this is uh, this is also a acts of vengeance tie in, which was the big summer event that was going on at the time, which typically involved heroes 
fighting villains that they were not normally associated with. So you had, you know, Spider-Man with, say, cosmic powers fighting, you know, Iron Man villains and Fantastic Four villains and, you know, things like that. But for for the, in this instance, you have, you know, Hawkeye and Mockingbird fighting a pair of villains who have ties to the Thunderbolts, but that they would have not normally encountered before. Um, so here we go. Have Hawkeye and Mockingbird turned to a life of crime? It appears that way as the two Avengers, or two people dressed like the Avengers, are committing crimes. Clint and Bobby travel to Colorado to hunt for the imposters. Hawkeye and Mockingbird better get some earplugs because they're about to face the master and mistress of noise. Angar the Screamer and the mind-blasting Screaming Mimi. So yeah, so that's basically the synopsis. I mean, you know, they, they come down, they try to clear their names, and it turns out it's Angar the Screamer and Screaming Mimi that have been disguising themselves as Hawkeye and Mockingbird. And thanks to Hawkeye being partially deaf, he can see through their disguises and he takes them out. And that's, you know, that's kind of the long and short of what happens here. And like I said, it's kind of this uh, uh, acts of vengeance tie in Um, for me like this, you know, of course, I I thought maybe it was it was semi appropriate because Thunderbolts issue 10 had the reveal of who the. Thunderbolts actually were as the masters of evil, and I thought it might be fun to look at a a sort of uh, more fun, simpler story where there is also a reveal that that some people that you think are heroes are not necessarily heroes, um, and so and then also it, it has the nice you know historical aspect of you know screaming Mimi is Songbird, and so it ties in in that regard to our show. Um, I mean, I had a few notes on this, it, you know, and again, it's a, a short 11 page story, but I'll, I'll just go through mine real quick and then I'll ask you guys what you think of it. But I, I guess, you know, for me, it's interesting seeing screaming Mimi in, in her early appearances, you know, because clearly she was written as as a villain, a villainess, you know, so she's not like super sympathetic. And uh, the the thing that I noticed is even when she's disguised as mockingbird and they're talking to one of the the bank managers that they're robbing you know she refers to the bank manager as an old geezer and tells him to can it tubbo you know and like you you know what i thought of justin when i was reading that because i was like it's weird because i'm like screaming mimi kind of sounds like pizzazz from jim but like (laughs) if you think about it the, the way they try to paint her in in thunderbolts it's almost more like she's stormer like she was bad but she really wants to be a good girl but but she gets drawn into the badness or whatever you know so it's like but but to me i i couldn't picture stormer going like you old geezer you know like unless she was like sort of like pushed into it by the other misfits so that's that's kind of what i was thinking with that and you know i guess the the thing that's interesting is of course you know, that that doppelganger effect that they use. It's not that they're actually physically dressing up in a Hawkeye and Mockingbird costume. It's actually this kind of clever, clever explanation of the fact that that the combination of Angar, the Screamer's powers, and and Screaming Mimi's, you know, sonic uh, voice powers, like that that makes this, this interesting 
disguise where everybody thinks they look like Hawkeye and Mockingbird. And then and then you have the the sort of twist to the story, the twist that, you know, since since Hawkeye is afflicted with partial deafness at this point in his, uh, you know, career, which I think a billion other writers have since long forgotten, um, he that actually proves to be. Uh, a valued asset in his defeat of these characters because he's the only one who doesn't get afflicted by their disguises, basically. So he he sees through their disguise right away and everything. So, and I mean, I was pretty, well, I mean, I I, I want to say I was pretty much buying this comic off the stands, but the, the honest uh, assessment of it is the reason why I was buying this comic on the regular was because it had those big giant acts of vengeance things stamped on the front of them. So that's why I picked this up. Like I, I think the issue before was an acts of vengeance tie in and the issue before that was an acts of vengeance tie in. So by, by this point I had been buying this like two months in a row. And since if it had acts of vengeance on it, cause I thought that was super cool. And I, I still kind of think that's like one of the best Marvel crossover events that they ever did. Um, so this it, 28 was, I think the third, of Avengers Spotlight that had the Acts of Vengeance stamp on it. So I, I bought this issue, and then I bought the following one that was an Acts of Vengeance tie-in. And then I think I bought, like, a few more issues, because, like, right after this, and, and I, I don't know exactly how Mike feels about this, but maybe we can discuss it. But I, I did keep buying this, and I think after the Acts of Vengeance tie-ins were over, there was the the Hawkeye gets an armored costume arc or storyline that that kind of flowed through some of the subsequent issues after that and at the time i remember thinking it was kind of a cool costume but i i feel like that's one of those things that has been sort of lost to time or maybe it's more viewed like you know spider-man's spider armor in web of spider-man more so than spider-man's black costume if that makes any sense even though at the time i thought it was probably like Ooh, i'm on the ground floor of like spider-man's black costume but maybe in reality it was just you know, the shiny chrome spider armor, and I didn't know any better. But, yeah, that that's pretty much what I have on the issue, but I'm kind of curious about you guys. Like, have you have you read Avengers Spotlight before? Is this the first time you're reading this? Is this something that's kind of like uh, an old friend? Like, what 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 are your takes on this, I guess, title and, and this particular issue? This is the first time I've read this issue. I mean, I've read Avengers Spotlight issues before usually out of the back issue bins this issue it was fun but it felt like an 11 page like hostess fruit pie ad like if you <laughs> like, if, like if there was a scene at the end where like hawkeye holds up a fruit pie and he's like you know we solved this case thanks to me being partially deaf and this hostess fruit pie like i would have like <laughs> laughed i was like oh well what, that if, what, if, what, if, what if he pulled a hostess fruit pie out of his deaf ear <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, this uh, this was fun. I, there's, I don't know. I don't really have a whole lot to say about it other than it's fun. It's it's fun to see bad guys dressed up as the good guys and frame them. I mean, it, it feels. That's why I'm comparing it to Hostess Fruit Pie thing. Like this, like Derek, if they had made that like '80s Avengers cartoon with the dogs, like this feels like this could be a strip. <laughs> It's just, it's just, we would have the mockingbird dog and the Hawkeye, or the the mockingbird uh, girl dog and the the Hawkeye guy dog, right? Uh huh. Yeah. But yeah, this is this is fun. I I had never read this before. This this is an issue that I guess uh, I 
I obviously missed. I I've read scattered issues of Avengers Spotlight. You think I would have read like a lot of it since like yeah, Hawkeye's some, always some, featured. Some it. number but, one Hawkeye fan you are. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I read a good chunk of this series at some point. Like, but I don't remember a whole lot of it. Like, I think I probably read scans of it like years and years ago. When yeah, like no, you that, know, that, that, that's fair. It's not. I mean. To me, I think the thing that most stood out to me about this series was what, what I was kind of uh, asking you guys about. Like that, this was the series where Hawkeye got his his like Tony Stark armor or whatatever it was. So, See that that I do remember. Yes, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, then he later he gets into a, like a fight with U.S. Agent wearing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but I I never really liked that armor. So like I do not want a Marvel Legends of that. <laughs> yeah, so. Like I if you did if you made one Hasbro, I would probably buy it. But I don't I want. Mean, I mean, I mean, if it's between like the 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 Avengers spotlight armor and like his goofy, uh, w- w- what was that? The the loincloth, like whatever it is. Yeah, from, like, uh-huh. you know, like so, yeah. I mean, you know, the skirt costume. Yeah, between the skirt and the armor, like we yeah, I'd probably get the armor. Yeah, but yeah. what if you threw in the crossing outfit? Yeah. <laughs> That's the, I needs the Java. Oh, <laughs> hey, where's the Java? We, you know, they should, they should just make, hey, if, if, if they are spying on us, they should just make a San Diego set where it's like Goliath is the, the giant figure in it. And then they could have like all those other ones, the, where's the Java and the armor and mm-hmm. the, the loincloth and all that kind of goofy stuff. But no, this is fun. And like. Well, being the hardcore Hawkeye fan I am, I had already deduced why Hawkeye was immune to, like, Angar and Mimi's, like, you know, powers. And I'm like, oh, because he probably doesn't have his hearing aid on or something. Like, so that's, you know, Matt Fraction did that issue where, like, his his hearing was, like, damaged again. And it was kind of, you know, he had to, like, do sign language with his Mm -hmm. brother and stuff. And, like, you know, like, and uh, like Marvel has done stuff for like, you know, they're deaf fans where they're like, well, you know, Hawkeye's deaf too. And, you know, they kind of, you know, do special stuff for them. I feel like that's something that like has been kind of lost though. Like, like, I don't know, in the last few years, like you, that's like something they could like, you know, make that makes Hawkeye kind of stand out a little that he's like partially deaf. But like, I know, I know when, the retcon was like, you know, after Hero's return or whatever. I think there was that issue oh, where Frank, Franklin so, fixed it. Yeah, Franklin something. fixed that shit, basically. But yeah. But I don't know. It's something that, you know, adds to Hawkeye's like, you know, character, I think. In addition to like most writers, I feel like a lot of fans don't know this about Hawkeye either. Like even even if they're like, you know, supposed like Avengers fans and are are, you know, maybe going back and reading comics like whenever they find the south they're kind of like surprised to know it like i remember my brother came down a while back and he's you know he's long since got out of comics and stuff but like he he'll watch all those like crappy youtube videos with his kids like you know you know hulk versus doomsday who wins and then he'll ask me my opinion and i'm trying to like struggle i'm like well it depends on which hulk and anyway he was asking me some stuff about hawkeye you know, kind of like the usual thing, like, what's this guy with the ball doing on the Avengers? And I'm trying to, like, explain to him why I think Hawkeye is cool. And I'm like, I wish Mike was here. But I was like, well, you know, he's also deaf, too, in the comics. And he was like, what? Like, I never heard this before. So it's something that not only have most writers 
forgot or didn't know about. But I feel like even if you're someone who's, you know, I don't know, ankle deep in comics, maybe because you're a fan of the movies and you're trying to get into comics and reading stuff, like even then it's something you're not even aware of unless you've like read the Wikipedia entry on Hawkeye, like, in the, you know, every sentence. <laughs> Well, I mean, in, in, in some cases, like, imagine if all you did was you started with Bendis' New Avengers. I mean, yeah. and, and and that's now what, like, God help me, you know, what, 10 years? I don't know, however many years old it is now, right? Like, and, and, and w- that would have never come up in the entire run. So, like, can mm-hmm. you, it's, it's like one of those things where, like, partially you're like, okay, I guess you get a pass because you're, you know, unfortunately, that's the only Hawkeye you've ever read or known, right? So, like, how would you even... How would you even know Hawk, that? Hawkeye's number one arch foe is Norman Osborn, <laughs> and his his love interest is Spider Woman. Yep. It's, it's it's only it's only Norman Osborn when he has his uh, purple cornrows and he looks like freaking the Incredible Bulk or whatever from Dexter's Lab or something. <laughs> the, un, the, un, the unfraggable Bulk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> the great brush goblin. Yes. The, the Grimace Goblin. What about my generous proposal? Lunch at McDonald's. Are you in or are you out? It's you who's out, Gobby. Out of your mind. But yeah, I mean, you know, this to me was something that I thought would be fun and simple and, and, and also, you know, tied into Thunderbolts. You know, it's it's one of those things. I, I think it's going to get tougher and tougher for me to find things like these. So when when I do come across them, I'm, I'm kind of usually excited because I'm like, OK, great. This you know, this, this fits our model. It's something that, you know, we can enjoy in a single read. It's a, it's, it's, it's kind of even shorter than a done in one, right? It's a, it's a done in one half almost, right? Like that's, that's kind of what this is. And, and it also sort of, you know, fits the historical mandate as well. So if I come across things like these, I'm, I'm certainly gonna, you know, find some way to, to slip them under the, the, uh, historical banner and, and have us read them. Good show. Well chosen. Does it, does it ever bother you when, like, I think it might have just been a coloring error, but, like, when they color Hawkeye's ear like it's part of his cowl? Mm. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I feel like they probably do that a lot with, like, Cap and different guys like that, like, where there's there's things that you're like, wait, isn't that... Or, or sometimes it can go in the opposite, right? Like, like the you know, for you, you're like, oh, the ear shouldn't be purple, you know, it should be flesh-colored or whatever, or or it could be the opposite, right? Where, like, you're, you're seeing something and you're like, oh, how come Captain America's, like, you know, white portion of his bicep is like flesh colored or something for no, you know what I mean? Like something, some weirdness like that can happen. But I mean, in this, it seems fairly consistent though. You know, like that, that was a choice. I just, maybe the person like reading this for the first time, like Hawkeye has purple ears. Like, no. Well, is it, is it really Hawkeye or is it Angar fucking up Hawkeye's color? <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. That's how you can tell them apart. One has purple ears. Well, one has purple ears, and the other one has uh, not purple ears. Even though at the very end, he's like sticking his hearing aid into a purple ear. So, you know, you you, you certainly have a point. What what I mean, Mike? What do you what do you think of that whole notion? Like, you know, just the I don't know. I I don't know that I want to call it this, but the the early installment weirdness aspect of 
Screaming Mimi. You know, Screaming Mimi is a, you know, pretty much nasty bitch in this, right? Like, I mean, and th- is that just something where you figure over time she, she you know, the, the true, um, you know, sort of heart of gold songbird, you know, comes to light and this is just, you know, her being young and dumb and, and, and kind of falling in with the wrong crowd like Angar or like is, is that basically how you'd sort of reconcile that type of thing or, or is this just something where you don't spend too much time thinking about it? Yeah, she's just, you know, she's trying too hard, like, at this point, probably, you know, she's just with a bad crowd, like, I mean, you can you can look back at all her old appearances in retrospect and just say, yeah, she was kind of, you know, dumb back then, but... Yeah, yeah. You know. or, or, you know, easily susceptible to the influence of her peers, right? Yes. But yeah, good good choice. Like you know, it, like it was a short read, but like I enjoyed it. Like I'm one one of the like I I could swear I've read a bulk of this series, but like I, not a lot of it stuck with me. And maybe that's because a lot of it is like you know episodic, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of it's all you know, like I said, done in one halves almost. You know. So yeah, like anything else, or I think uh, I'm good. I always wanted Stormer to join Jim and the Holograms. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that's another issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you can live vicariously through Songbird, I guess. <laughs> yeah. What about famous TV star Angar the Screamer? That, that's what <laughs> I was about to say. TV star of Agents of Shield, Angar the Screamer. Uh, was he Hawkeye soon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That must have been after <laughs> I quit watching that piece of shit. <laughs> He, I, I forget. Doesn't he like walk on like a, a football field and scream at fucking? Yeah, and like they like CGI his mouth so it like yeah, stretches so it, out looks, or something. Yeah, he looks like freaking uh, the mummy. Yes. Uh, yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. More of that Agents of Shield goodness. How did this show run for seven years? Oh, I don't know, dude. Because Disney's got big fucking wads of truckloads of money to throw into it, I guess, and. ABC's their network, so they couldn't cancel it, I guess. If you're out there listening and you like Agents of the Shield, the TV show, send us an email at fuck you, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> We're canceled. We're canceled. Uh, how, how, dude, nobody's going to cancel us over Agents of Shield. I feel like you'd be surprised nowadays. Uh, if you can get canceled over the Star Wars sequels, you can get canceled over Agents of Shield. Uh, all right. Well, all right then. Yes. So, yeah. Derek, why don't you do hopefully, our? Hopefully, hopefully, we're already canceled okay. by this point. Um, yeah. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns other than uh, Agents of Shield, you can email us at fanholspodcast@gmail.com. If you want to check out the backlog of our episodes for Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning, you can head on over to fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. You can check all the episodes out there. And we can be found on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all the likes, hearts, shares, retweets that we receive. We're on Apple Podcasts. You can stream us on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Spotify. Thank you, Derek. So this is Mike signing off. This is Derek, Derek WC. I didn't quite catch that. Signing off. And this is Justin signing off. 
you leave Jolt alone? GW. Take a number. I was lightning before the thunder. Thunder. Watching um Top Hat Gaming Man's uh, video, like his he you, like I told you guys, he does like like historical videos on fighting games and stuff, and he like he just made it through like all the Marvel versus Capcom like games. So the next video he did was on Dragon Ball Fighter Z because he was like, well, this game has supplanted Marvel versus Capcom now by being like better than it basically like than the last iteration, but. Like, usually he's kind of like you, Derek, where he, like, goes through a whole, like, historical portion of, like, whatever he's covering. So, like, the first, like, five minutes of the video is him giving, like, the history on, like, Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z and stuff. And um, he gets up to GT, and he's like, and then there's, like, Dragon Ball GT. While, I mean, it has its fans, but, like, now it's been rendered by, like, Dragon Ball Super as a non-canon, like, you know, pseudo-canon, optional canon. And then he kind of has an aside where he's like, I wish someone would do that with the Star Wars sequels. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Optional canon. Uh, you mean like uh, the last 20 years of comic books? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Optional, Optional canon. canon. And that's what I always say. None of that shit is canon. Like, doesn't matter. Like all the Halloween movies except the first one now. <laughs> <laughs> it's all Optional. Optional. Well, the, the Rob Zombie movies are definitely optional. Yeah, you have options within your optionals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 